You're listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is BaptistChurch.com. All God's people said, Amen. 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 Thank you, Davion. And let me tell you, those are words that Davion's written. And um, he's just tremendously talented. I would say that um, he is uh, probably one of the most talented young men I know. And God has his hand on him. And I'm excited to see what God's doing in young men like Davion. If you have your Bibles, I want you to take them and turn to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. I'm beginning a series called Damaged Daughters and What to Do to Prevent It. Uh, we're, we're living in a time where children are under attack, children in the womb. Um, Genesis chapter 1, chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1, 26 and 27. But we're living in a time where children are under attack, where so much is going, seems like going south in our world today, in our own country. <clears throat> we, we, we've seen so many things in the area of sexuality uh, right now, all the gender uh, questions and the struggles and the battles and the trans community and how that is growing. 13 to 14 year old teenage girls are the number one contributor into that trans lifestyle and it's affecting young ladies today. California has brought in over 10,000 counselors basically to counsel young people in the area of gender dysphoria and, and transing into another gender. Over 10,000 counselors across California today. Testosterone can be given to girls today without parental approval. And you may say, why would girls want to take that? Number one, testosterone quiets or calms anxiety, which is a big problem in teenage girls. It also begins to develop them in a way to where they no longer are battling with some of the weight issues. Shoulders broaden, hips narrow, uh, stomachs begin to go down, and so they begin to feel better about themselves. Testosterone, though, has a high cost. Usually girls that get on it will have a hysterectomy within five years. Many, uh, most who get on it never get off of it and will also develop cardiovascular problems. I was telling you the Department of Defense, over 50% of the doctors in the Department of Defense have said to military personnel that their seven-year-old girl, girls as young as seven, can make decisions as to their sexuality and can be sterilized, sterilization. They can choose that at seven years of age. We're living in difficult times, times like we've never seen before. A girl 15 years old in Oregon can have a double mastectomy. I want you to listen to me closely. If you don't believe this is a real problem, then I challenge you to go to YouTube and look how many, how many young men and women are coming out of the trans community and trying to reverse many of the medical procedures and the hormones and the things they've been doing. It's heart-wrenching. 
We're living in a time like we've never lived before. And so as we approach Mother's Day, I'm going to be talking about damaged daughters and what you can do to prevent that. And so in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Now, do you see it? Male and female, he created them. Let's pray again. Lord, we love you. And we pray, dear Lord, that you'll speak to our hearts. And we pray that, God, everything will be for your glory. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I wrote down here a couple of things. First of all, propagation. And by propagation, I mean Adam and Eve, when they are created, God tells them to be fruitful and to multiply. Now, everybody look this way. Propagation, multiplication, uh, childbirth birth came before sin in the garden. Okay? So from the very beginning, when God created Adam and Eve, man, male and female, God gave them the responsibility of propagating, of multiplying, of replenishing this earth. Secondly, in the very first chapter, God lays down gender. He lays it down very clearly. You know, when I was a boy growing up, I never thought that was an issue. I mean, I didn't even think about it. I didn't think about these words and how important they would become in my lifetime. But God here not only gives propagation as the first command to Adam and Eve, he also speaks about sexual identity. The Bible says here, and he created them male and, and female. And, and the reason he did that, so that man could do what God told him to do. So that they could go out, multiply, propagate, replenish the earth, be fruitful. Now in Genesis chapter 3, we're introduced to an enemy, Satan, Diabolos, the devil, the slanderer. Slewfoot, the accuser of the brethren, the liar, the father of lies. And in Genesis chapter 3, Satan is introduced, but everybody listen, Satan was probably lurking and listening in in Genesis 1 and 2. And let me tell you something, Satan was very much concerned about the commands that were coming out of the mouth of God. So I wrote down here, Satan, he seeks to lead you and I, men and women, outside the will and the word of God. If God said to Adam and Eve, propagate, Satan says the opposite. In other words, Jesus said Satan is a murderer. He said Satan comes to do what? To kill, steal, to destroy. That's what he does. That's what he's about. And so if God tells Adam and Eve to propagate, Satan comes along, fires up Cain, gets him worked up into a fit of anger so that he kills his brother Abel, and thereby Satan is going after the messianic line. We're living in difficult days. I, in fact, I believe this. I believe Satan 
knows that his days are numbered more than ever before. You know, Billy Graham said this. He said, evil is getting worse, good's getting better, and they're polarizing. Do you, have you noticed that? Have you noticed that we, uh, we seem to discover new ways of evil? Evil seems to be getting worse, good seems to be getting better, and they're both polarizing, Billy Graham said, toward Armageddon. You know, there's two issues today, abortion and the LGBTQ movement. Have you noticed that both of those, if we embrace them as a people, would immediately no longer give us the ability to obey the first command God gave man in Genesis 1, which is to propagate? Two women can't propagate, two men can't propagate. Abortion interferes with the ability of man to be able to propagate because we kill the unborn. Now you may say, well, this series is about girls and about raising girls, and yes, it is. And you know, some people may listen, they say, you know, I don't have no girls. You know, God gave me two boys and two girls. In fact, he gave me two girls, then he gave me two boys. I used to say in the African Shona culture, I would say, uh, I would say, Dine uh, Muvuri, and I would talk about my children. I would say, Mukomana uh, Kadiki, you know, little boys, and Musikana Kadiki, little girls. I have both boys and girls. And when I said I have two boys, I have two girls, they would light up when I said two girls because the girls would bring the labola, the bride price. And they said, Mufundish, you will break even because your girls will bring the labole in and your boys will have to take it out. You'll break even. So, you know, um, but anyway, I, I have both. And you may say, well, you know, I only have boys. Everybody listen. If you have sons, you better be praying now for your daughter-in-laws. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Man, let me tell you something. Sheila and I, we were praying for our son-in-laws and our daughter-in-laws. And you need to be praying. You may say, well, I've got boys. This doesn't apply to me. No, you're going to have girls one day. If your boys marry, they're going to bring girls into your life. And let me tell you, and you may have granddaughters. I've got 16 grandchildren, 11 grandsons, and I've got five granddaughters. But I believe there's a war today. You know, a lot of people say, well, I want a boy. I want a boy. Man, I want a boy. We want a boy. We think every culture is that way. You know, in Zimbabwe, uh, a boy wasn't as valued near about like a girl. And again, because the girl would bring in the labola, the bride price. She could make parents very rich. I remember the first time I went to Zimbabwe, and they were asking me about my oldest, Amy. And I said, well, Amy's, uh, Amy's going to be a dentist. In fact, the first time I went, Matt went with me, my son-in-law who's married to Amy. And I, and I said to Matt, I said, now, Matt, when we get to Zimbabwe, you're going to hear this word all the time, and when you hear it, they're always going to laugh. And he said, well, what is that word? I said, it's mukwasha. He said, well, what does uh, mukwasha mean? I said, it means son-in-law. And I said, a son-in-law in this culture is a joke. And all God's people said. And it was true. Everywhere we went, when I introduced Matt, I would say mukwasha, and they would laugh. 
If I remember one point, I was speaking at a church. Matt was with me. I introduced him as the Mukwasha, and then I began to talk about my daughter, and, and I was telling them that she was a dentist or finishing dental school was going to be a dentist, and man, they got all excited, and they began to say, Abombegumi. And Matt said, what does that mean? I said, Matt, that means you owe me 10 good cows. <laughs> you know, uh, in some cultures, boys may be valued, but in many cultures, they're not. You know, girls are special. I did a little research. There are 331.89 million people in the United States in 2021. 51.1% of them are girls. So the girls got us outnumbered. In Hong Kong, females represent 54.2%. So some of you young men, if you're looking for a wife, you have better odds if you go to Hong Kong. In India, it has the lowest ratio. It has 1,000 males to every, to every 879 females. The girls are important, aren't they? But all kids are. So let me give you the first point of this sermon. Maybe only be one point. All children are a gift from God. Turn to your neighbor and turn to your neighbor and say that right now. Now everybody look this way. Everybody listen. You young people, I know you're getting excited, but y'all got a few more years, so just hang on. Bill, you're back there laughing. I've raised teenagers. You do it with fear and trembling. But now let every young parent listen to me. They are capital G-O-D apostrophe S. They are not little g-o-e-o-d-s. In other words, they are God's they are an act of God's stewardship to you, but they are not little gods that are running your household. And there's a big difference. Take a, take a right from Genesis and go to Psalm 127. I love this passage. Psalm 127, I love verse 1. Psalm 127 Beginning at verse 1, look what it says here. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. That means vain is a word for foolish. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Now watch this. Look at verse 3. If you're there, say amen. Sons, but let me tell you something. That is better translated in the Hebrew. Children are a heritage from the Lord. Children are a reward from Him. You know, when I read that, I thought, I wrote down these words. Listen to this. I did a little research. I thought children are a heritage and a gift from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is, is the fruit of the womb, a reward. But then I wrote these words, tragically, since abortion was made legal in 1973, nearly 57 million preborn babies have been violently disobeyed. This is from an article that I was reading. 
They have been destroyed. They have been denied the most basic of all rights, the right to life. Now, I want you to listen to this. Put your spiritual antennas up high. In this article, it said, at present, the number of babies that have been murdered in the womb. This is the equivalent of Michigan, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Iowa, North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, Kansas, Louisiana, Montana, Wyoming, Colorado, Utah, Arizona, Idaho, Arkansas, and those populations of all those states in a single act of terrorism being murdered. Statistically, that's 2,900 a day, 137 an hour, 2.3 children a minute. This shocked me. In 2008, for every thousand births, there were 510 abortions. And I wrote down here for all those who say yes, but we struck down Roe v. Wade. Imagine 16 states wiped off the map and we're celebrating Mississippi. Mom, I believe, Mom, I believe you have a moral responsibility to speak out for the unborn, and so does every Christian, professing Christian in this room. And you may say, why? Go back to Genesis 3.10 from Psalm. Hold your finger on Psalms, but go back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 10. I alluded to it a moment ago, you remember? I said, you know, the old devil, oh, Satan, he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. God said, propagate. God said, replenish the earth. Satan came along, filled Cain's uh, heart with nothing but anger and hatred, and he killed his brother Abel. But do you remember the conversation between God and Cain? In, in, in chap chapter 4, in Genesis chapter 4, it says then, verse 6, let's pick up at verse 6. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, you will, not be, you, will you not be accepted? Everybody look this way. Real quickly, Cain and Abel were brothers. Cain brings uh, some of his crop, grain. Abel brings the best and the fat of his he brings a lamb. God accepts Abel's sacrifice. He does not accept Cain's. Cain gets angry and is filled with jealousy and resentment toward his brother Abel. So God confronts Cain. He says to Cain, he says, Cain, you're angry, but you can still do right. Now watch, read on. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now, look on down there. Now, Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out into the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? He's smart. He's a smart aleck with God. Look at verse 10. Underline it. Dog ear that page. Jackson needs to hear this. The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. And now you're under a curse. 
people may say, well, you know, we've got, we've reversed Roe v. Wade. Well, that's just a matter of time. California's already said they'll be the sanctuary state for abortions, even funding abortions. And as soon as the Supreme Court is remade, no doubt, they'll address it again. And you say, well, why is that important to me? Because I believe that's true. Innocent blood cries out from the ground. You and I need to be concerned. Remember the point. Children are what? A gift from God. You know, in Psalm 139, it says, he, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. You know what it says in Psalm 39, 139? It says that God is making. It actually uses the terminology there that he's knitting together this new life only for it to be interrupted and ended. You know, I thought to myself, Noah's wife came alongside of Noah to build an ark for her children. Can you imagine that? You know, we think about Noah. We think about his sons. But my friend, I believe that Noah had the kind of wife. She was by his side, working together, building that ark. Why? To save her family. Sarah would beg God for a child. Jochebed, with, at risk to her life, would defy Pharaoh's edict and protect Moses. Hannah would beg God for Samuel. Esther would risk her life for her lineage and her people. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, would pack up in the middle of the night because Joseph said, get up! We've got to leave now for Egypt. The baby's in danger. Children are what? They are a gift from God and the fruit of the womb. And for every mom in this room that's brought a child in the world, let me fill this church up with women who've never had that honor, who've never had that joy, and have wept before me because they'd give anything to have what sometimes you may take for granted. Children are a gift from God. Matthew Henry said this, Sheila, this is what I was talking. I, you know, sometimes I talk the sermon over to Sheila, and I said, Sheila, I can't tell you this one. Matthew Henry in a one-volume commentary, things about that big, and every once in a while I'll pick it up. Listen to what Matthew Henry said. Now, you put, I mean, listen closely. Children are God's gift and they are to us what he makes them, listen, comforts or crosses. You know, I thought to myself, I don't know that I fully agree with that. Because children are also the responsibility of how parents raise them. Children are also the responsibility of a community and how it lives out a moral and ethical standard, a biblical standard. Children are also the response of, of a church and how it comes alongside of children, investing in them and believing in them. Sitting in my office a moment ago and Sarah was sitting there, Sarah Seals, looking at her dad, carrying on this conversation. What a rich moment it was between father and daughter talking. Can't put a price on that. But I wrote that. Let me read it again. Children are God's gift. And they are to us what He makes them comfort or crosses. Comforts or crosses. And I wrote down here, one child can make you as a pompous, proud parent while another can keep you on your knees, broken, dependent, and trusting in Jesus Christ every step of the way. 
right? Now let me ask something, do you believe that? That child may give you a depth, that child that you're constantly praying over, worried over, that child can drive you to your knees, give you a depth in your relationship with Christ that he could have no other way if it wasn't for that child. Some of you young parents have no idea of the difficulty that you face as children get older and they get their driver's license and they're a little late and you can't find them and you're wondering where they are, wondering what they're doing, wondering who their peers are, and you're battling and listen, sometimes the only thing you can do is go to your knees and pray. That's it. Do you believe that? That child, that child, that child that may keep you on your knees, gives you a depth of a relationship with Christ that you might otherwise not have. But let me ask you something else. Have you ever taken time to thank God for that difficult child? Really? You ever thank God for a special needs child? Let me tell you something. For every one of you listening who has normal children, basically normal, I know you may think at times they're not, but I want every one of you to listen. I grew up with a special needs brother. My dad is 93. In fact, he was in Baptist Hospital here just a couple of days ago. My 66-year-old brother, who's autistic, lives in a little house my dad built him in front of his home, and my dad takes care of him to this day. Do you know what the conversation was? between my, I and my dad's wife, Jane. Do you know what the conversation was while my dad was incapacitated, while we were wondering whether he was having a stroke? It was about my brother. And do you know what I looked at Jane and said, Jane, because she said, I told your dad that Mike and I, I'll take care of Mike. And I said, Jane, you need to understand, in this restaurant, Primo's, I told my dad, you'll never have to worry about my brother. I'll take care of him. If you don't have a special need child, be kind and understanding to those who do. But do you take time to thank God for that special needs child, that difficult child? You know, Bob Smith, Bob Smith, when Bob Jr., his son, was killed on a motorcycle. And you've heard me tell that story. Three children on two motorcycles, three of his kids, hit by a semi-truck. Bob held Bob Jr. in his hands as he was dying. Elizabeth, his daughter, would spend 75 days in ICU. His other son, Ted would be banged up, but he would be all right. But Bob Smith tells in a book called The Gift, the Grief, and the Glory, he and Betty, his wife is an English professor. Betty said one night, she said, I and Bob were laying in the bed. It was dark. It had only been like a week or two. And Bob Jr. was now gone. And somebody was at the hospital there with Elizabeth. Ted was home with us. And she said, we laid in that dark night and you could hear, we were both sobbing and crying. <laughs> and Betty said she looked at Bob in the night 
And she quoted these words through her sobs, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, In everything give thanks. And she said, Bob, God is telling me right now that you and I, though we're broken, we need to give thanks to God right now. And she said they begin to worship and praise God because they knew where Bob Jr. was at and they knew they would see him one day again. You know, there's times we can just praise God even when times are hard. Are you giving God thanks for that difficult child that tests the last nerve that you have, that keeps you up, that drives you to your knees? Do you thank God for that strong-willed child that is defiant, determined? Listen, it's not a matter of how to raise a strong-willed child. It's a matter in this day how to raise your child to be strong-willed. You better give them a backbone. You better make them men and women who are uncompromising, strong in their faith, secure in their spiritual principles, who don't back down and they don't follow a crowd. But I'm afraid that often we don't do that. Children have become difficult. And before long, parent, if you're not careful, you begin to have an attitude of anger, of bitterness, of frustration. You become annoyed with them. You're impatient with them. They're the one child out of them. Why can't you be more like the others? They test you. They push you to the limit. And sometimes you wonder why they're the way they are. Maybe they're the way they are because of the way you act toward them. Sometimes our prayer needs to be on our knees, God, forgive me. And let me tell you, if you're a single parent here and you're trying to raise children by yourself, you be very careful who you remarry. Kevin Lehman said this. He said, Mom, he said, listen. He said, if you have small children, he said, stay home. Get them 18, start them off to college, then you can see about your love life. Because it's hard to find somebody that will love your children the way you do. And you may say, well, that's not me. Let me tell you, I've been counseling and in ministry for over 40 years. And unless a person is a sold-out follower of Jesus Christ, most people are incapable of loving somebody else's child. And for those that do love somebody else's child, let me remind you of something. Joseph was called to love somebody else's child. Pray long and hard. You know, Romans 8.28 says this, and listen to it in the Amplified. You don't have to turn there. And maybe this is good when we have a difficult child. And we know with great confidence that God, who is deeply concerned about us, <clears throat> causes all things to work together as a plan for good for those who love God to those who are called according to His plan and His purpose. Listen to Matthew Henry. He goes on. Children are God's gift. They are to us what He makes them, comforts or crosses. Children are a heritage, a reward, and are so to be accounted blessings, not burdens. For He sends mouths that will send meat if we trust Him. In other words, God gives you a child, He'll give you what you need to take care of them and meet their needs. Well, we can't afford to have children. You ever hear that? Isn't that strange? Oh, we can afford to go out to eat at Amerigo's. We can afford for, for Him to drive that Z71 brand new truck. 
We can afford for her to go get a new outfit. We can afford to live in a 2500 a month house. But we can't afford to have more children. Let me tell you some Christians have better start having more children. Matthew Henry said, Children are a heritage, a reward, and are so accounted blessings and not burdens. For he that sends mouths will send meat if we trust in him. Children are a heritage for the Lord as well as from him. The family that has a large stock of children is like a, is a life that has a quiver full of arrows of different sizes, we may suppose, but all of use one time or another, children of different capacities and inclinations. You know what he's saying there? Children are different. They're different. Each one of them with certain bents, certain twists, different personalities, but all of them a gift. And parent, it is your responsibility to train up a child in the way. And the word way is bent. How has God bent this child? My little grandson, Silas, is a unique little boy. But he's fascinating. He's fascinating. His artwork, his colors, his characters that he brings. He won an award just recently in his grade because of just this unbelievable storyline with all of these characters. And, and he could tell you the names and their personalities. And he, and he walks you through that and you just look at his brain as it's operating and you think to, my, to yourself, he's such a unique child. They're all unique. Because children are what? They're a gift from God. Look at Psalm 28, 128. From Psalm 127, Psalm 128. Blessed are all who fear the Lord who walk in His ways. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your sons, and that's your children, your sons and your daughters will be like olive shoots around your table. The man, look at this, thus is the man blessed who fears the Lord. Isn't that great? You know, hey men, listen. Says your wife will be a fruitful vine. Everybody listen closely. Ladies, listen closely. A vine can't grow by itself. You ever notice that? A vine can't grow out that you can't plant a vine unless you give it something to cling to. And you may say, well, wait a minute. I thought you said a moment ago for a single parent. Listen, you and I are always clinging to the rock of ages, Jesus Christ. You can clean and climb that one. Your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In fact, you're called the bride of Christ. Ecclesia is in the feminine. It's a, in the gender of the feminine. It's the church. You're the bride of Christ. Ladies, you could understand that in a way men will never understand that. But I love that. A vine can't stand on its own. It clings to a strong and stable wall. Wow. In verse 3, it says, innermost parts. That's a picture of a home that's secure and safe. And it says children are like olive trees, olive shoots, saplings that are growing straight and tall. You know how long it takes, I think, for an olive tree to come to the point of producing? 17 years. 
I wrote this down, as a twig is bent, so grows the tree. That proverb comes from the 18th century, meaning that the early influences that come into your children in the formative years have a permanent effect on them. So you better be aware of the programs that they're watching, the things they see on a phone, things in on a computer screen. And listen, the school should know who you are. They knew Sheila. They didn't want to know me. But they did. Let me give you some practical things real quickly. Number one, see your children as an act of stewardship entrusted in your care by holy God. A gift that God has bestowed regardless of the pain they bring. Let me read that again. Young parents, I know you're oblivious. This is a sweet, joyful time. We just love. Why can't everybody be as good as we are as parents? We're just so good. Our kids are so obedient. Well, wait till they get 16 and you're up one night and you're going, oh God, where are they? Wait till, you're, wait till one day you walk out to the car like my dad did and found beer cans in the bottom of his, this, uh, the, the floorboard of his car and I'll never forget, I thought I was going to die. Wait till you get to that point that you have to think, wait a minute, maybe I need to go back over the birds and the bees because undoubtedly I'm scared right now. But a gift that God has bestowed regardless of the pain they bring. Number two, love them unconditionally. Young parent, not based on their sports, not based on their grades, not based on their popularity. Do you know what Jordan Peterson, a clinical psychiatrist, psychologist said? He said some trans girls, 13 and 14, number one girls, he said some of them have narcissistic moms who are pushing them into that lifestyle because mom wants to be seen as hip with it and woke. Number three, pray, pray, pray. Satan has launched an attack against your children. He's going after you kids. Pray. My grandmother, Momo, I remember her. Laying in bed at night, I would lay there, and I would hear her when things would quiet down. All of a sudden, my grandmother, 10 children, at that time over 50 grandchildren, calling them all by name. Bob Smith, when he came to the home and we would have our devotion in the morning, Bob prayed for his children all by name. Listen, when I pray, I pray, God, I pray for Amy, Matt, Sam, Judah, Eden, Canaan, Issachate, Elam, Parker, Rose, and Zeke. Emily, Corey, Emma, Grace, and Sophie. Ledge, Alicia, Ethan, Caleb, and Titus. Jeffrey, Megan, Silas, August, and Aaron. Sometimes we're sitting there, and I know the, the food is ready, and it's hot. And Sheila says, you ready to pray? And I pray, and I call out all of them by name. It's not a matter of saying, God bless the kids. It's a matter of going before God and interceding for each one of them. Sixteen grandchildren, and I don't know great-grandchildren, and I don't know who they'll marry, but I'm already praying for them. And you know what the Bible says? The prayers of a faithful, righteous man availeth much. And that's a woman too. Pray for you, kids. Number four, you may say, well, I've messed up. 
It's too late for me. It's never too late. You love them unconditionally. You love them where they are. You don't give up on them. God hadn't given up on them. Ask for forgiveness. God, I messed up. I wasn't in your word, wasn't in prayer, didn't take them to church like that. I don't know. God, I messed up. God, forgive me. I confess to you. And then go and confess it to your child. The scene out of the gladiator, your failure as a son is my failure as a father, is so true. Now let me close with this. My younger sister, her name's Marcia, had three daughters, Lori, Diane, Marie. Her middle daughter, Diane, struggled. Struggled with peers, substance abuse, relationships. Marcia said one day that God, my sister said one day, God told me very clearly, go buy Diane flowers. So she went out, and she said all of her friends, everybody, was saying, you know, she, she, she brings so heartache into your life, grief into your life. What do you mean you're going to bring her flowers? You need to show tough love. I get so sick of hearing that. But my sister said she went out and she brought a, bought a massive bouquet of flowers. And she found her daughter and gave them to her. Said, I love you, Diane. God told me to do this for you. I think it was the next day. She said early in the morning I was drinking my coffee when all of a sudden I caught a vehicle pulling up and it was Lori and Marie and they had pulled up. She said they got out and she said, I knew immediately something was bad wrong. And they came and they said, Mom, we're so sorry. But Diane was found dead this morning. Months before that, God said to me one day, you need to talk to Diane. Sheila and I went, and we it may have been just a few weeks before that, maybe a month. We went to talk to Diane. We shared the plan of salvation. Diane sat there just like a, just like a little kid, just like I remembered as a little girl. She sat there, and she, she wept and cried. And we said, Diane, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? She said, Uncle Jeff, Aunt Sheila, I do. I know Him as the Lord. I, I know He's my Lord and Savior. I said, well, Diane, why don't you give up some of these peers that are taking you down the wrong road? And listen to what she did. She dropped her head and she wept and she cried and she said, I can't. In that moment, I knew it wouldn't be long. Marcia said, I gave her a big bouquet of flowers. I never knew that God was saying she won't be here tomorrow. We had Diane's funeral. My sister, when you ride into Niceville, Destin, Fort Walton Beach, used to be a big billboard that says, Marcia knows Niceville. She's a top real estate agent. There were bank presidents. There were real estate tycoons. There were brokers. There were people, businessmen and women. There, the church was packed with people. Same time, there were young people dressed in golf, solid black from head to toe. 
My sister asked, I did the funeral. My sister Morsha shared testimony before I preached, and God came down. It was a funeral like we'd never, many people said they'd never been to a funeral like that in their whole life. You could feel the presence of God all over that place. Children are a gift from God, even when they're difficult. Pain, one writer said, is the price of love. Pain is the price of love. He loves you. If you're a parent and you're struggling, and you're mom and you're frightened and afraid, if you're a dad that wonders, you know, how am I going to provide and make ends meet? He loves you. Your children are a gift. And He's got a special plan and a purpose for every one of them. Oh, you may say, but you just don't know some of the battles that I'm going through. <laughs> that lawyer back there, he tested me a lot. That worship leader up there, he said to my oldest grandson, he said, Sam, he said, I kind of gave mom and dad a hard time. I remember one night he came in late and I was, went out there to his little Honda Civic and I washed his vehicle and I wept and cried and prayed. He came down the stairs and said, where's mom? Dad, where, I met mom, where's dad? I was down there on my hands and knees washing his, cleaning his vehicle. Chip Henderson, the pastor of Pine Lake, one of the top 100 churches in the country. When his dad retired, Gene Henderson, Dr. Gene Henderson, everybody, it was a celebration for Gene and his ministry and his retirement. Chip Henderson got up. You know what Chip did? He looked down at Dorothy Henderson, his mom, and he started to tear up and he said, Mom, I know I gave you a hard time sometimes, but I love you and you were so special and you are so special. Two weeks ago, Chip Henderson preached her funeral. She died of cancer. Children are a gift from God. An act of stewardship. And listen, and God has a plan and a purpose for all of them. Trust Him. Don't give up. Let's stand. Our Heavenly Father, we just thank You, Lord. We love You. Lord, we get excited when we think about God, all of the plans and purposes of children. Lord, when we look at a baby, when we, we look at a small baby and we realize that they're like a piece of clay, they can be molded and made and will be shaped by what we value, what we see as important. If mom and dad are in the Word of God, if mom and dad take hands and pray over a meal or at night as they kneel by the bed, as, as mom and dad live out those spiritual principles, it permeates and shapes that clay and molds it into men and women of God. There are others in this room, they say, you know, I failed. I don't know what went wrong, but something went wrong. 
So God, first of all, I just ask you to, if I've done something, God, forgive me. And the Bible says if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. And when a parent, a mom and dad says, God, I don't know what to do, but God, I'm trusting you, and God, you give me wisdom, and it may be as simple as taking a big bouquet of flowers and just showing up somewhere and saying, I want you to know I love you. I love you. Some children, even as grown adults, just need somebody to wrap their arms around them and hug them and love them unconditionally. I love you, son. I love you, daughter. Forgive me for not being maybe the parent I should have been, but I love you. And I know God has a plan for your life. Begin to believe good. Believe to, be, to, to live out, to believe good in them. To see the potential of what they can still be even at whatever age they may be. So God, help us to be parents that you would have us to be. Now God, if there's one here, one who may be listening, who has not given their life to you today, may they do it. May right now, may they say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I repent of my sin. Come in and live in me. Give me everything I need to live into, in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And God will give you the praise, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You come. You come. You are a parent. You need to spend a moment at this altar. You come. You pray. Nothing more beautiful than that. Man came with his son, broken and needing healing. And you remember, he just came, and he brought him to Jesus parent take a moment pray for that child no matter who they are no matter where they are god you know where they are you know where they are god right now i ask you right now to wrap your arms around them god fill that place where my child is right now may they feel your holy spirit right now god bring into their lives people that can affect their lives i can't do it but god bring around them men and women who can and god will hear that prayer you come